I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 5. We're going to get a little further, but at, at the rate we're going, we'll finish the 10 things, 10 questions to ask in the new year, and we'll finish it by 2021. Uh, that's okay. There's a new year coming then as well, unless the Lord comes back. But uh, there's a story told about Satan having a garage sale. And he is having this garage sale, and all of his tools are laid out on tables. And uh, they're all marked. And the uh, you know, first one, he's got lust there, and he's got worry, and he's got bitterness, and he's got uh, uh, pride. He's got, uh, which one did you guys buy? Help me out here. Fear, okay, fear. Uh, what's another one that maybe you purchased from his garage sale? Uh, uh, maybe I already mentioned it, so you're not going to help me too much. So he's got them all laid out. He's got just a string of tables and a string of tools. At the very end, he's got one that's not even marked, and the price is way above all the rest of his tools. So somebody asked him, uh, what is this? And why is it priced so high? He said, oh, that's uh, discouragement. Well, why is it priced so high? Because nobody knows it's mine. Satan uses discouragement more than, well, I, I'm not going to say more than anything else, because you might be experiencing something else maybe continually, but he uses discouragement a lot, and especially when it comes to change. Do you get discouraged? You've already given up on all your resolutions now, and you've determined, and I've, I've heard this, I've even said that, I'm not going to make any resolutions because I just, I just quit them, and I don't stick to them. Well, the reason for these 10 questions, these 10 questions by this professor in the Southern Baptist University, uh, gives them to his kids every year and uh, said we could just pass them on to you guys and so that you can leave it in your Bible or you can leave it uh, by your computer or you can uh, leave it where you lay your phone down or something and you don't need to make a, a thousand decisions uh, to, to change your world for this year. You only need to make one change. I would suggest that you make maybe two or three. But if you can only stick to one, then just pick one of these ten. And you'll see that even with ten, uh, some of those are intertwined with others. And so you make one decision. It might really be the decision that will count for three of these questions that you ask. And so uh, the first question, we've gone through this, and you can get a copy. You can go online and view it on our website. If, uh, the, what's one thing you can do to increase this year to increase your enjoyment of God? And I realize we didn't put them in the bulletins this year. Uh, today, we did it the, uh, several times in the past. Uh, just pull out your, if you have it, if you don't, uh, that's okay. You can, you can go online and, and see it too. But uh, what's one thing you can do this year to increase your enjoyment of God? Because that's why we are here. 
to serve God and enjoy Him forever. But the, the fear I have, having experienced some of that in my life, is that I know what I need to do, but I don't enjoy doing it. I do it because I think I've got to, because uh, I'm a pastor's kid, or because I'm a pastor, or because somebody is watching me, and so I have to do it, but I don't enjoy God. Well, I'm, I'm learning how to enjoy God, and I say, this, this is a great opportunity for us to decide, well, how can I enjoy God more this year? And Scripture tells us, as we've looked at already, it comes through His Word, it comes through prayer, prayer and fasting, and it comes through fellowship with other believers, the church family, the body here. Number two, what's an impossible prayer you can pray? Uh, do you have any impossible prayers? If you don't have any impossible prayers then what you're doing is saying, I really don't believe God can do, uh, can answer prayer. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask him for things that probably will happen anyway, or maybe, or hopefully this will happen. No, pick out an impossible prayer. Do you have an impossible prayer? You know, I, I revised my, I had an impossible prayer list. I keep in the front of my Bible, no peeking. Sometimes I forget my Bible up here. Don't peek to find out if you're on that prayer list. Uh, I had seven. I've revised it. I now have um, ten. And I call it amazing grace across the top. Amazing grace because I see God's amazing grace at answering these impossible prayer requests. Received a phone call. I think you know, maybe it was last Sunday morning or Wednesday. Um, someone came to me and said um, that prayer request, and at the time, 10 days. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. An impossible prayer request answered. What, what do you got? I, I, I'm not going to ask you to say out loud. You know, pray for my wife that she'll get common sense or whatever. You, but you can write that maybe in a note on the bulletin or something. But you've got an impossible prayer request, don't you? Write it down. But what will it be like at the end of the year? It might still be your impossible prayer list. But as you're praying for this, it is changing your life, changing you. It might not be changing the other person. But then we don't know what God is doing in that other person's life when we're not around. So we keep that person or that thing or that health situation, we keep that on our impossible prayer list until God tells us, uh, this isn't my will for you. My will is that I take this person home or I, uh, I cause uh, this girl will... Well, you have a prosthesis uh, uh, for an arm for the rest of her life, but she will use it for God's glory or, you know, write down your impossible prayer list. And it might be for little sailor that God will be glorified in that. Write it down. But after you write it down, then I'm going to give you a couple verses here. Romans chapter 5. I want you to... Think of what, Romans 5, think of what this 
has to do with an impossible prayer list. The first part of Romans chapter 5 and Romans, Romans 3, you know, if you know the Romans road, you know that Paul is saying, hey, we are all sinners. We are all doomed. There is nothing we can do to, uh, to get to heaven. We are hopelessly lost. We are helplessly lost. And as good as we might be, we are still lost and on our way to a literal hell. And then verse 5. I know, uh, verse, uh, verse 8. Verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you know why this goes with impossible prayers? Because we are all born in impossible situations, but God. This, my list in the front, ah, this list, but God, but God. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, Galatians, Ephesians, as you head towards the back of your Bible, Ephesians 2, and you hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, Satan's world, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, that's how you acted among whom also we all had our conversation, our way of life in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. And we see this in the world today. It is celebrated, uh, the, the uh, lust of our flesh. And not only do they celebrate, but they are trying to get us to have to celebrate along with them the things that God says are uh, ugly and ungodly desires of the flesh and of the mind, who would have thunk? They were, and their children of wrath. Verse 4, by God. By God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, but God hath quickened us, given us life, Together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. He's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But God did this, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you're saved through faith. Not yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast, because we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Oh, but God. You got something on your impossible prayer list? Then start going through Scripture and, and circling or highlighting or doing something with the but God sections, the verses, but God. And every time we think this is impossible, but God. Gabriel came to Mary and said, you're going to, carry the Son of God in your womb and care for him as a baby. And Mary said in Luke chapter 1, how can this be? I know not a man, but God. And Gabriel says, remember this, Mary, with God, all things 
are possible. But God, write down your prayer request on your sheet and then put in quotes, but God. Circle it. Look at it. Number three, what's the most important thing you can do to improve your family life? Well, for men, Wayne, where did you wind up? Wayne Wilhart, he, he told me. Okay, uh, how long have you been married? Betty, Betty, I know Wayne doesn't know. Yeah, he, t- he turned to Betty right away and asked, how long have we been? Betty, how long have you been married? Almost 65 years. Okay, so because... Wayne doesn't have a microphone to tell us how that he can make uh, this, this question. What's, uh, what's the most important thing you can do, uh, do to improve your family life? He doesn't have the microphone, but he says, men, two words. Two words is all. Yes, dear. <laughs> yes, dear. That can make all the, all the, the difference in the world for you with a, a yes, dear. But... Maybe that's not what you need. Maybe that's not the most important thing for you to improve your family life. Suggestions here, maybe, that you would jot down. Maybe it's family devotions. Maybe it's deciding you're going to eat one meal a day, and if it can't be for breakfast because of scheduling, then probably it'd have to be supper time. One meal a day together. And you're going to have devotions. You don't need to make them complicated, because if you do, you won't do it. You make it simple. Uh, Daily breads, we give those out out free Uh, in the back. uh, You can pick up a daily bread. It's a little devotional book. It might take you 10 to 15 minutes to read it with your kids. The kids can sit there before or after uh, you finish supper, and you... We'll read the Bible because it, the daily bread just gives a, a, a scripture verses. Read those verses. I encourage you to read it out of the Bible just so the kids know where it's coming from. But if they understand that, hey, those are verses from the Bible. I want them, to, you, you want them to know that the Bible is important. So uh, we're going to read some Bible. And then there's a little story that goes along with those verses to illustrate it. And then you pray with the kids, and maybe if you're musically inclined, you sing a song, and, and stick with the same song for a while so the kids get, get to know it. You know, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul, uh, little, little choruses that are good. Do that. If you don't know how to do a devotional, uh, here's a devotions for mom. Maybe that's what you need is just to have devotions for mom. And if you uh, want to have devotions, uh, I'm not a mom, so you can come up and pick that up. Uh, daily devotions made easy. Let me tell you, daily devotions are not easy. They are tough. Now, they might be easy to do, but it's tough to do them. If, if we didn't have our kids, as they were growing up, reminding us, devotions, Dad, devotions, Dad, Oh, yeah, right, 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 okay. It's not easy to remember, but if you want devotions made easy, here's a book for you. Here's a one-year book of devotions for kids. Maybe that's what you need. Uh, Our kids are gone, so you can pick this up if that's what you would need. Or you go online, and they've got so much stuff, but just 
maybe that's what you want to change this year. One thing, we're going to have devotions. And you're able to do that. And maybe it's three days a week. Maybe it's four days a week. Uh, Maybe it's once a week. You need to do it for your children's sake. Maybe it's your prayer life. Uh, uh, Let's see, uh, singing together. Maybe it's your intentionally loving your spouse. Maybe you need to have a day night once a week or maybe once a month. And so wives, put that on your list and let let your husband see it. I want to go out once a week. A date night. Deliberately go out. Maybe it's eating one meal a day together. Maybe it's having no phone time in your house. No phone time together. Can you, can you imagine that, kids? How is that possible? You mean <laughs> shut it off or leave it in a basket in, out in the entryway for 45 minutes? You've got to be kidding me. How am I going to survive that? Um, I, I was, uh, somebody shared this with me. It's from a principal of... Uh, Middle school. Okay, here it goes. Parents, I'm an assistant principal in a middle school, grades 6 through 8. My number one job is to create and sustain a school environment where both students and teachers feel safe physically and emotionally and mentally to teach, learn, motivate, socialize. I take my job very seriously as I do my colleagues, uh, as do my colleagues. We work very hard to grow our capacity to do this work on a daily basis. I can't begin to describe how much time I spend every day dealing with issues that stem from unsupervised cell phone usage by our students. In the situations where I have to search a student's cell phone, I often get sick to my stomach at what I find. Highly inappropriate photos, videos, messages, social media usage, etc. The things our students are willing to try and be a part of um, at such a young age, gets worse and worse every year. When I call parents to inform them of what is going on, I always ask them how often they search their kids' phones. The shock gets even worse when 90% of them say, hardly ever, never. And then they get upset at me, accuse me of lying to them about their kids' roles in certain situations, or expect me to somehow fix the situation. Parents, he says... It is your number one job as a parent to get in your kid's way at all times. Kids do not deserve privacy without accountability. You own their devices, not them. You should be having the hard conversations with them about life, relationships, their bodies, their future, etc. It is your responsibility to provide social and emotional support help build coping skills and monitor their activities, especially online. Please stop actively working against the schools and start working with us. We are not the enemy. We are trying to fulfill the role of both parent and educator in many situations, and that is a very delicate and difficult line to walk. Here are some suggestions he gives. Uh, Eat dinner as a family every night possible and actually talk. Ah, novel. No devices allowed. You're starting to shake already. Current research suggests parents only spend about eight minutes a day in conversation with their kids. 
Eight minutes, that's unacceptable. Number two, check their devices randomly and often. You need to learn how to navigate their world. Inform yourself on how to use certain apps. Keep up with what apps are the most downloaded in the app store. Make your kids show you their content and conversations and explain to you what is going on. Then give them advice. Make contact with them and be part of their online presence. Number three, create opportunities for them to have experiences. Take them to do new things, see new things, and learn new things. This not only strengthens your brain, their brain development, emotional development, and builds resiliency in kids, but it also strengthens your relationship with them. And finally, do not let them take their phones into their rooms. Shut their doors and disappear for hours. Nothing good ever happens on the Internet behind closed doors. Nothing good ever happens on the internet behind closed doors. The online world is by far the most dangerous place our students go every day. We can't assume they will intuitively know how to navigate the dangers uh, of the online world on their own. Please help us with this. I realize that a number of our, our parents are gone this week with their kids. I'm going to encourage them, and you might encourage them, to go online, go to the web, uh, our website, First Baptist Church, and click on today's message. Show up probably in a couple days uh, so that they might see how important it is for them to be the guard for their children, for their lives. And so the most important thing you could do to improve your family life might be actually to police their phones. Number four, oh, okay, number three, we ended there. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I, I don't know the situation of every family in our church family. I know some of them. I've shared tears with many of them. And so I know that we face a world that is extremely dangerous and not just because of some virus, but more so the sin virus that we face. And so, Lord, I, I pray that you might help us know how to encourage one another to walk with you daily, to make changes for this year. One or two changes will make us more like Jesus than if we don't make one or two changes. Lord, might we change our world and because of it be a change agent for the rest of the world especially our own children and grandkids. So, Lord, we, we give so much over to you because there's really not a lot of power we have on our own. Might we learn to enjoy you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.